Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Stephen Brannan. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. The epistle and the gospel today speak of a radical newness, a newness of life, a newness of law. Jesus says, you have heard it said as of old, etc., etc., but I say unto you, and then he gives new law as the legislator. What's interesting is what he said you had heard of old, he also spoke, but he didn't put those words in the first person. He didn't say, as I said to you of old, now I say to you, as if he were changing his mind. What he's telling us is that when he spoke those words to a people before, it was the best that they could receive. It was all that the world was prepared for. But now, now that he has come in the flesh, he is ready to speak words that the world can finally hear. I now say to you this. And what does he say to us? He says, if you killed someone before, you might be liable to judgment for it. But now, if you have thoughts in your heart that are the beginnings of that old action, the thoughts that would lead to killing someone, even if they don't lead there now, if you let those thoughts even plant the smallest taproot in your heart, you are liable to even more than you would have been guilty for had you gone all the way through with killing your brother before. What is this radical new law trying to tell us? And how in the world can any of us abide it? What is Jesus trying to tell us here? What he's saying is, if our heart is open at all to the kind of thing that would lead to such a heinous sin before, that direction of heart, if eternity has its sway with us, can lead us to something even worse than killing our brother. It could lead us to rejecting God altogether, to killing God in our heart. If there's something in our heart that would have sent us in the direction of killing our brother before, that something, if it stays in our heart, can lead us toward the killing of God in our own heart, to cutting ourselves off from the source of our own existence. What Jesus is telling us is that I am now giving you the law, the secret of preventing those old actions, preventing a worse action. I am letting you in on how this works. I'm giving you a new anthropology. I'm introducing a psychology that the world has never had before. The wisdom of the Greeks, the law of the Hebrews, no one had understood what this was before until Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount tells the world for the first time, now I tell you, if you even say, you fool to your brother, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Why? Why? Such a crazy punishment for such a small deed. Or so we might think. The punishment and the deed are language that we might have heard before 
to, to give us a context for sin and, and hellfire and all that, but that's not what Jesus says. He's not using the language of deeds and punishment. He's using the language of heart direction and consequence. Not punishment, consequence. What is the fire of hell if it's not the purgatory fire of God himself? And what is the deed of the heart if it's not the heart turning away from God like Adam and Eve's at the very beginning? This is the same story over and over again. It started at the beginning and it will go all the way through to the end of the world. We are all in danger of the sin of Adam and Eve. We've all committed it over and over again. Every time we choose something apart from God, every time God gives us a boundary and we transgress it, we're choosing that fruit off the tree. We're choosing to turn our heart away from God and away from our brother. In the epistle reading, St. Paul echoes what Jesus is saying. St. Paul essentially gives us the real lesson here. If you have been put into Christ, that is, if you have said goodbye to your old life and received the Christ life, you are something new. You have to reckon yourself dead to sin, to all of those kinds of thoughts, actions, to all of the roads that would lead us away from God. Anytime your heart begins to twist or turn in that direction, anytime you want to say, you fool, to your brother, or worse, like I do on the road almost every single day, anytime your heart moves in that direction, you have to remind yourself to reckon, as Paul says, yourself dead to that. No, I don't want my heart going in that direction because my heart is now with Christ. It's pointed in this direction. It's no accident that the Christians first called their movement the, the worship of Christ as God and the following after his laws as the way. This is the way that Christ is giving us. It's not just a law. It's not a set of things to do. It is a way. It's a way that leads away from hellfire. If you think of it in terms of directions that we end up pointed in and the termination of those directions on the horizon of eternity, then yeah, you begin to see how a small twist or change or turn in our heart can send us in wildly different directions if we let that direction guide us for the rest of our lives. That's why the way points in one direction, toward Christ, toward God, who ultimately is the only horizon. Every horizon must lead back to God eventually because God is all that there is. God is existence. If you follow any direction away from God, it will terminate in a fire that must send you toward God. It's a fire that will purge the wrongness, the, the directionless, the 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 tendency to move into non-being. Those are the only choices, being or non-being, God or nothing. This is why Jesus sets up the new way for us. This is why Paul talks about such a radical new life. There's life and there's death. If you're not living in Christ, then you are dead. That's it, existence or non-existence. These are the two ways. 
There is an amazing piece of writing that was discovered only a few hundred years ago, but that is one of the oldest extant Christian sources of teaching uh, that has ever been discovered. It was probably written before the end of the first century, maybe during the time that the apostles were still living. It's called the Didache, the teaching of the apostles. And it begins by saying there are two ways, the way of life and the way of death. This radical distinction is echoed again and again throughout the New Testament. In Jesus' parables, he says there are the wise and the foolish versions. He says there are uh, the sheep and the goats, those who go into light and those who go into darkness. It's what I call the, uh, the, the difficult binary of the gospel, this binary that, that makes us think, oh, I, I, I'm either alive or I'm dead. I'm either a sheep or I'm a goat. And that, that pressure of being the one and not the other can feel overwhelming if we don't realize who the God is that's inviting us to the way of life, who Christ is when he tells us, yeah, you're in danger of the fire of hell if you say you fool to your brother. But he's also the Christ who gave himself his entire life so that we might be reconciled unto him. If the epistle and the gospel readings for today's mass are too overbearing for our souls, if we don't know how to receive them in the way that God intends us to receive them, if we hear them and we don't have the healthy, life-giving fear of God, but the wrong kind of fear of a God that we invent in our minds, a God who's angry, a God who's uh, desirous of punishment, a God who's waiting to drop us into the fires of hell. The angry God, in fact, of the, uh, some of the Protestant movements from England and the Americas. The God who really does make people cower in fear of slipping up and living a life of fear not a life of devotion and love. If we're tempted to hear the epistle and the gospel reading with that kind of fear, thankfully the church has given us more to hold on to in the readings of Mass. In our introit, for example, we hear from the psalm, the Lord is the strength of his people and he is the wholesome defense of his anointed one. O Lord, save thy people and give thy blessings unto thine inheritance, feed them and set them up forever. Unto thee will I cry, O Lord, my strength. Think no scorn of me, lest if thou make as though thou hearest not, I become like unto them that go down into the pit. The words of the psalmist in our introit are saying, I will turn to thee, O Lord. Please, please think no scorn of me. If you do, if you thought of me like one that you didn't consider, I would be like those who go down hopeless into the grave. But the psalmist is not hopeless. His hope is in the Lord because the Lord is good. Our colic for the day says, O God, who has prepared for them that love thee such good things as past man's understanding, pour unto our hearts such love toward thee, that we, loving thee above all things, may obtain thy promises, which exceed all that we can desire. So yeah, there's a little bit of a language of a transaction going on, 
We have to love thee. And if we do, then you will pour into our hearts things that we can't even conceive of, things that exceed our desire. But really, is that even a transaction? All we have to do is have the beginnings of love toward God, and he pours into us blessings that are inconceivable, are gradual. Turn thee again, O Lord, at last, and be gracious unto thy servants. Lord, thou hast been our refuge from one generation to another. If God is an evil God or a God who's uh, looking forward to punishing people or a God who doesn't care if people make it into the kingdom of heaven or not, why would he be so gracious unto his servants? Why would he be a refuge one generation to the next? Then we say, Alleluia. The king shall rejoice in thy strength, O Lord. Exceeding glad shall he be of thy salvation. God is the giver of salvation. And we ought to be glad in it. In our offertory, what do we say to God? Again, through the words of the psalmist, we say, O hold thou up my goings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. Incline thine ears unto me and hearken unto my words. Show thy marvelous loving kindness. Thou that art the savior of them that put their trust in thee, O Lord. In our communion verse, I will offer in his dwelling an oblation with great gladness. I will sing and speak praises unto the Lord. This final verse means that we have obtained what Christ was telling us in the gospel passage, that if we remember that we have something against our brother to go and fix it and then come back and offer our gift. So we have the choice here in this liturgy of hearing the word before we were feasting on the word, as the introit says, feed them and set them up forever. That's what God is doing for us right now. He's feeding us with his words. And in a moment, he'll feed us with his flesh. But what we have the chance to do now as we hear his words, to let them enter into our hearts as his flesh will soon enter our stomachs, is to put our minds and our hearts right, to set them in the right direction, to turn them away from the direction that would say, you fool, or something worse, to our brothers and sisters. This is our chance to set our hearts in the right direction. And then, once we have made that right, then, as the communion uh, verse will say, I will offer in his dwelling an oblation with great gladness. Then we come and make our offering to God of ourselves. That's not much to offer. Speaking for myself, I can promise you, offering myself is not much. I don't even have the power of my own existence. God is the only one keeping me in existence right now. So what is it for me to offer myself? Well, it's the only thing I can offer to God. It's all that I own. And it's not even fully mine. But it's the one thing that I can truly give The only thing I can give to God is me. And he wants me to give him that gift clean of sins, clean of bents and turns and kinks and knots in my heart. He wants me to straighten them out to the best of my ability. And he'll help us in that. He helps us. The danger of hellfire for those who say you fool to your brother. That's the danger of experiencing God having not tried turning to him. If we turn to God, then we experience love 
brightness and joy and warmth and healing and health. If we don't turn to God and we experience him, which we all will, every one of us will experience the direct presence of God. And if we're not facing him, if our will isn't in line with that encounter, then what we experience will not be pleasant, but it will still be healthful. God is our salvation, whether we like it or not. God loves us. He is not the angry God in whose hands we have to fear being. He is the God of love in whose hands we ought to desire to fling ourselves. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.